0: Listener-supported, WNYC Studios.
1: This is Politics with Amy Walter.
2: am my time, cause that's the kind of guy I'm
1: All those who've been knocked down, counted I out, keep it left behind, fine. this is your campaign. Just days ago, the press and the pundits had declared this candidacy dead. Now, thanks to all of you, we just won, and we've won big because of you. We need to build on the coalition and legacy of the most successful president in our lifetime, Barack Obama. And the way we do this is by bringing Americans together of every race, ethnicity, gender, economic station, Democrats, Republicans, independents, people of every stripe. Look, just like we did here in South Carolina, and like we can do across the entire country on Tuesday Beginning and beyond. Monday, right through Sunday, fight my time, For the last couple weeks, Joe Biden has been counting on South Carolina to save his campaign. And last night, Palmetto State voters did just that. Biden took almost 50 percent of the vote in the state, besting second place finisher Bernie Sanders by almost 30 points. His win was built on the strength of support among African-American voters. He took almost two thirds of the black vote. But can Biden's momentum from South Carolina translate into wins in the 14 states that hold elections on Tuesday? Joining me here in studio in D.C. is Joel Payne, a Democratic strategist. Hi, Joel. Hi, Amy. And via Skype, Dave Weigel, national reporter covering politics for The Washington Post. Hello, Dave. Hello. And Jamie Lovegrove, political reporter at The Post and Courier in South Carolina. Hey, Jamie.
3: Long time listener, first time caller. Thanks, Amy.
1: (laughs) Jamie, well, we're going to start with you uh, as the uh, local reporter down there. You know this, but we've seen polls now for weeks in the state that showed that Biden was ahead and he was likely to win, but they didn't show a blowout of this proportion. So what happened?
3: This is the third time, and I was actually talking about Dave with this, uh, about this after the debate uh, on Tuesday night. This is the third time in a row uh, that South Carolina polls have significantly underestimated uh, the extent, the margin of victory, of the eventual winner of the South Carolina Democratic primary. They did it with Obama in 2008. They did it with Hillary Clinton in 2016, and they've done it again this year. Uh, You know, one thing that I think is just missing in the polls oftentimes uh, are rural black voters um, who are just hard to reach. Uh, They don't like to pick up the phone if they don't know who's calling. Uh, And I think that they often just get missed in these polls. But I also certainly do believe that Biden really caught a surge of momentum here at the end, uh, right when it mattered most. Uh, You know, I've been covering this race for a year and a half now, and absolutely from the day he got in, in fact, from before the day he got in, he had a huge base of support here. There were folks who were never even going to consider any other candidates. Um, But there were plenty of South Carolina voters who at least wanted to give everyone else a shot. Um, There were people who grew uneasy with Biden's performances on the stump and and were interested in other candidates, including candidates who didn't make it to primary day like Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, as as one uh, Democratic strategist down here said to me, you know, everyone was dating and going out to dinner with other candidates. Uh, but at the end of the day, they they decided to bring Joe Biden home to mom and dad, and uh, and he obviously got the the Clyburn endorsement on. Wednesday, we saw some exit polls yesterday that showed 47 Mm percent of South Carolina primary voters cited that as an important factor in their decision, which is just an astronomically high number for any endorsement. Uh, So that certainly helped, too. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Joe Biden is a very popular man in South Carolina. And once he got back on the trail this week, you know, he'd been missing, of course, for several weeks because he'd been in Iowa, New Hampshire and Nevada But once he got back here this week and could remind voters in South Carolina what they liked about him to begin with, uh, he was really able to to seal the deal.
1: Uh, I'm glad you brought up the Clyburn endorsement. That seems to be really important. But the other piece that seemed to help Biden a lot, too, is the fact that Tom Steyer, who at one point was bringing in double digit support, really faded there at the end. What do you think happened to Tom Steyer?
3: Well, you know, and again, this goes back to sort of the end of what I was saying. Tom Steyer kind of had the state to himself for a little while. Um, Certainly on TV, he was the only candidate running ads for months. Um, Nobody else had his kind of resources. Obviously, Mike Bloomberg was not on the ballot in South Carolina, so he didn't need to run ads here. Uh, And so, you know, he was the only show in town for a long time, and that gave him the run of the place. He was the only candidate in the state for a lot of the the time as well. I mean, you know, just because Iowa and New Hampshire were never – uh, core parts of his strategy. You know, in retrospect, I think there are probably some other candidates, including Biden, who may regret not skipping out a little more on Iowa, New Hampshire and mm. focusing more on Nevada and South Carolina. But that was always Steyer's strategy. I think the issue was that that once we got into the last couple of weeks, when everybody else went up on air uh, and everybody else was on the ground in the state greeting voters, uh, some of those people that had been kind of swaying and moving over to Steyer, um, you know, were pulled back into to other camps. Uh, I, you know, my sense from a lot of this fire support was it was just never really strong. They were just interested in the guy. Uh, Most people didn't know anything about him other than what they had seen in the ads. Uh, And so, you know, we also saw Biden and his campaign start to go on attack a little bit in the final few days, uh, bringing up his investments in private prisons and and coal mining. You know, that could have uh, concerned some voters as well. Uh, You know, it's just very hard to it's, it's easy to get name ID up. Um, And that can win over some voters. uh, But it's really hard to build a a loyal base of support, especially when you're going up against a guy who has been coming to this state for over 40 years.
1: And, Dave, I know you've spent a lot of time in the state. You're in the state right now. But um, South Carolina, while it was a great night for Joe Biden, as we look forward to the Super Tuesday states, there aren't many states that look like this state um, that are... uh, have as big of a African American population. that are, are as moderate in terms of the sort of ideology of the voters. Older voters make up a bigger percent of the electorate in South Carolina. So, what's the expectation now? What do you see for Joe Biden being able to take the momentum for this win into those other Super Tuesday states?
2: Well, that's a good point you make. And I think some of the conversation, I mean, not for people like Jamie, but some of the conversation about even Super Tuesday, I think has been blinkered by what Super Tuesday was last year. Uh, And it was the Georgia, it just skewed a lot more African-American, a lot more Southern than it does this year. So going into this, I I honestly, I, I, again, defend, defend everything Jamie did. He had really good reporting that was very clear-eyed about South Carolina. Some of the commentary that was very kind of, twisting the shower knobs hot and cold about whether Biden was dead, whether Biden was resurgent and couldn't be beaten, was a little bit silly because nothing really changed about the map. He was strong with black voters. Polling underestimated how strong he was. He's still strong enough to do very well in the Super Tuesday states with black voters uh, dominating the electorate, and that's uh, Alabama, that's Tennessee, that's Virginia and North Carolina to an extent. Um, That's a little bit Arkansas. Uh, but apart from that, when those parts of the map are gone, he doesn't have that particular advantage anymore. Um, after Super Tuesday, he's going to have Mississippi, uh, Georgia, and, and Florida, and Florida is some place we're going to be talking a lot about. But he's still in the position where he can hold on to that base vote while Sanders will, can do very well in states with more Latino voters, more white liberals, and that's the rest of the Super Tuesday map. But what what happened? What could have happened to Biden in South Carolina was even just winning maybe by ten points, winning the black vote only by fifteen or twenty over Sanders, as some polling suggested. I think that would have put him in a pretty untenable position, even if he won. And going into the night, it was it was pretty clear that he was going to win. I was at the final rallies for most of these candidates, and you could count on one hand the the white voters showing sorry the black voters showing up for Buttigieg. You could mm-hmm. maybe count on a uh, maybe six or seven hands <laughs> of people showing up for Sanders. It was very clear that Black voters had stuck with Biden, um, and what what cha- what happened was that they stuck in the sort of numbers that are going to be powerful on Super Tuesday, but just in the zone where he can do well, but perhaps not past Sanders. Uh, the The irrational exuberance of the Sanders people, though, I think, w- was very telling in the last week. I mean, this is a campaign that knew had realistic expectations for South Carolina, and I think. Lost, his, lost that realism in the final week and just kept sending the candidate back to a place where he was never going to do very well.
1: Um, Joel, I want to bring up a name that we'd been talking a lot about before South Carolina. That's Michael Bloomberg, who has been investing very heavily in these Super Tuesday states. Do you think that he can still be a factor given the momentum now that, at least media-wise, uh Joe Biden will get from this win.
0: I think Mike Bloomberg is a very complicated figure for a lot of Democrats. I think he's the once savior, now potential spoiler. Um, I do think that the political obituaries that have been written for Mike Bloomberg are a bit premature And not for anything that gives him any momentum going into Tuesday. I would say this is probably the low watermark of the Bloomberg candidacy. It's because so many votes have already been cast Mm -hmm. in a place like California, where three million votes have already been cast. Now, certainly Bernie Sanders has a lot of support in California. But Bloomberg, from what I understand, had a pretty agile operation there on the ground in California, too. So who knows how many of those votes came in in a place like North Carolina, where many folks voted early, including my father. Mm -hmm. Um, who voted before the previous two debates, the one where Bloomberg in particular got beat up pretty bad. So I do think that you have to factor in many people have already cast their ballots and that may behoove um, the political fortunes of Mike Bloomberg in the positive direction. That That might be a better turnout for him than people just going to vote same day coming up this Tuesday. We'll have to see How many of those folks actually um, turned out for Bloomberg versus people who are going to decide maybe now to shift with the political currents and go to a Biden um, or go with the Bernie Sanders? By the way, I think that the simple analysis of this field is. Uh, progressive and moderate. And I'm not sure if it lines up exactly that way. I'd argue there's just as many Biden-Sanders jump ball voters as there are Sanders-Warren jump ball voters. I think that the political analysis game that we play sometimes reduces it to just, um, you know, these folks are in the middle, these folks are off to the left. This is a race where voters are telling you that's not how they're looking at the field. So, There's a lot that we're going to learn on Tuesday. I do think that for those Democrats that are very nervous and jittery, I think Tuesday will be a very clarifying moment because it will tell you whether or not you have a real front runner in Bernie Sanders, whether or not. Joe Biden can actually run a one-on-one race with Bernie Sanders in a real way and whether or not Mike Bloomberg actually has the political fortunes to stay in this race beyond Tuesday.
1: Right it's I think that's a very good point and I wonder if for those jittery oh my gosh we need to beat Donald Trump and I don't know who the most electable candidate is if this gives Biden then the thing he's always been looking for which is the excuse uh, that he can give those voters to say look I can do this.
0: It, it gives Biden that excuse. What it does not necessarily give him is money. Yeah, and and I, and, and, yeah. I, and I know that the reports um, post South Carolina suggest that Biden's bundlers have been very happy with the response from those funders that are so important. Um, you know, the fact that Biden is so cash poor coming into this part of the race is another story altogether. I'm sure that Dave and Jamie could probably write columns about that. But um, Biden really has to catch up in that money race, one for just the fact that you've got to be able to put ads up on the air, but also for optics. If you're going to go up against Bernie Sanders, you got to have the money to go up against Bernie Sanders. And then if you're going to go up against Donald Trump, you have to be able to prove to the Democratic establishment that you can raise the funds and wage the kind of battle that you're going to have to wage to, to eventually defeat Donald mm-hmm. Trump if you're going to be the Democratic standard bearer.
1: Um, Dave, I want to talk about what Bernie Sanders did yesterday, which is he didn't spend the day in South Carolina. He was up in Boston at a big rally. He was in Virginia with a big rally, Um, obviously sending the message to voters, Democratic voters like, oh, hey, remember, I'm the guy who still gets the big rallies. I'm the the sort of enthusiasm generator in this race. What do you think his – strategy is going to be going forward?
3: Well,
2: it, it didn't change a lot last night. I, I mean, they're they're still kind of spinning. Oh, look, he did well with young black voters, but he did, he did that before. Uh, it, it is it, it's kind of a strange thing for, for Sanders, because this is a guy who kept running after he was basically out of with Hillary Clinton. But it's been to create the the twin images of inevitability and excitement uh, that you are doing harm if you don't just get behind this candidate. They're not that ex- they're not that explicit, but they they said, they hinted this, and that no, uh, no one is able to draw out as many voters as he is. I mean, um, there was an ad in South Carolina they ran from a, a supporter who switched from Biden to Sanders, and she argued very explicitly that she wanted to see the same kind of lines she saw for Barack Obama in 2016, uh, 2020. The implication being Joe Biden can't do that, and Joe and Bernie Sanders can, um, but. You know, Biden blew it away without those those big lines. The Democrats are still not quite sure what to think of the fact that uh, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders get these enormous crowds, and the other and um, Biden does not. I mean, he's ne- he's never been able as a candidate on his own right to get a big crowd, and he didn't South Carolina, and it didn't ma- It didn't matter. But going forward, that's a big part of your argument: is look, we're going to come out of this in Super Tuesday with a a possible popular vote majority with a possible pledged delegate majority, uh, at this, at the, after that point, people sh- should consider whether they really want to go for a establishment candidate who's much weaker than Hillary Clinton was. I think that's, that might become a bit more explicit that, that said they've they've been counting chickens a lot recently, the Sanders people. And <laughs> if, remember, remember in the debate, uh, recently there was, there's a hand show in, in Nevada of whether the person with the most pledged delegate should be the nominee, uh, so Sanders still has the most pledged delegates after, after South Carolina by a little. The expectation is that he'll do well enough in, South, in, in California to get the most pledged delegates. But they keep kind of basing decisions on what the polling says. We just saw another state, as Jamie pointed out, where the polling actually overestimated him and underestimated Joe Biden. So when they talk about California, they feel good about it. But they talk about California as, as a situation where literally Sanders could get almost every single delegate. Um, without, uh, because you know you need the fifteen percent threshold, and they look at a poll that says Sanders thirty, Warren fourteen. Okay, it looks like no one else will cross the threshold. It's it's right. not obvious they will. So we're so I'm talking a lot to get to the to get to the point of how we need to get more vote results to know where they're going. The point I'd make though is that after yesterday, uh, Ber- it's Joe Biden, not Bernie Sanders, who has more popular votes in the hunt for mm-hmm. the nomination. So they've been talking as if no one will be able to catch. Bernie Sanders, they, I think, as much as more than more than some other campaigns, were sort of writing the Biden obituary. Although maybe people was just trying to write that obituary in the summer when he said it was down to him and Warren. Uh, and so I, I don't think they have rhetorically prepared for a world in which there is a real competition between them and Biden. And the issue with Biden is that, uh, that he he is indeed. Uh, a problematic candidate. I mean, we saw in the last week in South mm-hmm. Carolina that he just made up a story where he was the hero uh, during an, uh, during apartheid. Uh, he has long rambling answers in town halls. I mean, he is in some he is in many ways just not as good a, as a competitor as Hillary Clinton was. But you have a Democratic electorate that is scrambled and terrified and unsure of who to back. Uh, you see this in the kind of the newspaper endorsements too where Biden would be the candidate normally getting all these newspaper endorsements saying vote for the most qualified candidate instead it's going to Klobuchar or, or in South Carolina it went to people to judge with the state just because people say I'm not sure if the 78 year old guy is really the best to throw in there it, it, it's it's been clear it was clear in the summer that if, if Biden could, slay that dragon and look like the one alternative to Sanders. There just are a lot of voices in the party that would be comfortable with him and settle for an exciting running mate. And it, Sanders was trying to beat that this week by doing well enough in South Carolina that he looked like the front runner he simply did not do that. So I think we're back to the status quo ante where pe- lots of moderate Democrats still say, well, I like, I like Warren and I like Klobuchar. Mm-hmm. Go down the list. But if I guess I'll have to settle for Biden. As long right. as people are willing to settle for him, he's in a good position.
1: That's right. Um, Jamie, I want to talk a little bit about J- the Jim Clyburn piece. We talked earlier about this endorsement being really important in South Carolina. So important that now the Biden campaign is taking Clyburn on the road to North Carolina, to, right. uh, hoping to rally African-American support there. But Clyburn also has been somewhat critical of the Biden campaign, basically saying, they got to get their act together. What Mm. what did he what do you think he meant by that? And what do you think he uh, sees as as the the problem there? And if he can do anything about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, he uh, so he spent from what I'm what I've been told about two and a half hours with Biden uh, on Sunday night before before he decided to endorse her, he had he'd already decided to endorse him, but he didn't tell him that at that point um, and and told him about the concerns he had with this campaign and told him about the concerns he had with the way he was personally campaigning. Uh, it's it's the kind of stuff that I think any of us who have covered Biden can see. Uh, he is. He gets incredibly meandery on the stump. He just goes into all these rabbit holes and um, cuts himself off mid-sentence and uh, can just be very erratic. At the same time, there are days that I've covered... Uh, Joe Biden on the stump, where it really feels like the old Joe Biden. I mean, he when he is uh, uh, feeling good and he has uh, got it together, I mean, he is as good as anyone out there. And so, you know, the question is, can he just have some more of those days? Um, you know, Clyburn, my understanding, has told him, uh, basically, focus on Uh, What it is that people like about you Um, focus on the electability arguments uh, and and how important it is to beat Trump and just kind of stop going into all of these uh, these rabbit holes that you keep getting into. Don't feel the need to to, you know, talk about the the real nitty gritty of policy that most most of these uh, campaign uh, event attendees have no idea about um and, and you know to fight on every little point that you know the bernie campaign brings up or that somebody else brings up uh and just to just to stay focused stay on message uh and we'll see if that happens but you know already uh just this morning uh biden has told george stephanopoulos on on this week that uh that there are a lot of changes coming um we'll see what exactly that means but That would uh, that would suggest that he has heard Jim Clyburn loud and clear uh, and, you know, that that uh, he'll be hoping that he can use last night as a turning point, not just in terms of momentum, but in terms of the way his campaign actually operates.
1: Um, Joel, I'm going to give you the last word to weigh in on where Biden goes from here and also your expectations for the field finally culling. I mean, at this point in a race. The people who have been coming in third, fourth, fifth, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, would have dropped out. I just saw the other day that Elizabeth Warren is investing, her campaign is not just in Super Tuesday states, but is on TV in the March 17th states as well. So it seems like these folks are at least by the money and the spending, expecting to stay in.
0: Uh, These candidates that you just referenced are certainly signaling that they will stay in. Now... We know that Bernie Sanders has made a pretty significant buy in Massachusetts. That is a clear shot, and he is making a clear effort Mm -hmm. to beat Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts, which I cannot imagine how there could be any justification for a Warren candidacy if she cannot win her home state. I'd say the same for Amy Klobuchar in Minnesota, where Sanders, not coincidentally, also has made Mm -hmm. a pretty significant um, media investment. You're right. This is normally the point of the race where you would start to see that coalescing. The question is, is there a force within the party or is there a combination of forces that can force these people out of the race? I think you're going to see a lot of concerns, particularly around Warren and Klobuchar, about not having any other female candidates in the race. I think that um, that would probably be a complicating factor there that might pull back some of that pressure that might normally be there. And I think if you're Pete Buttigieg and if someone is trying to pressure Pete Buttigieg out of the race, after the first four primaries, you're saying, I won one. I finished second and two, and I have the second most consistent fundraising apparatus mm-hmm. that's remaining in the field. So um, it's a pretty – complicated terrain in terms of forcing these folks out of the race. Really quickly, one thing on your question to Jamie about Jim Clyburn. It reminds me, so I worked for Hillary Clinton in 2016. I was her director of African-American advertising. And I do remember an experience where I joined a delegation of folks. We had to go over and speak to Mr. Clyburn and a number of other members and explain to them our African-American outreach effort. And let's just say for this young politico, um, that was quite the moment. And um, that is, by the way, something that I think, um, you know, Jamie's answer related to um, Clyburn's long conversation with the former vice president. I'm sure he talked about strategy. He talked about staffing. He talked about deploying resources. And I would imagine he was speaking for a lot of people in the party Mm -hmm. related to concerns about whether or not the Biden campaign is built to last. So um, those conversations do happen. And I can tell you, as someone who's been on the receiving end of some of them, they're not always fun.
1: (laughs) Uh, Joel I Payne, one think- thing, yes, please. Jamie. I, I would
0: just, yeah, I was just
3: going to say one thing. I do know he specifically told him, I don't know if this is quite a direct quote, but to paraphrase, you know, you're saying this is a fight for the soul of the nation act like it. Uh, you know, you've been just kind of passive through a lot of this race. We've seen it on some of the debate stages when he just keeps taking hits and seems surprised by it. And we've seen kind of a change in his debate style, which was just you know, the debate this week was two days after he had that conversation with Jim Clyburn. Obviously, the debate was kind of a mess, and so he didn't really come out with any sort of – but he certainly uh, had some fire in him, and, and that would suggest that uh, that Clyburn is is getting to him.
1: Well, I want to thank you all for joining me today. Joel Payne, Dave Weigel, Jamie Lovegrove, thank you again so very much.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Amy.
0: Stranger so long. I'll just go long by
1: That's all for us today. If you missed anything or want to listen back again, check out our podcast on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or literally anywhere that deals in podcasts. And hey, while you're there, check out How to Vote in America. It's a new podcast from WNYC Studios, The Takeaway Gang and yours truly, exploring how our election system works does not Every episode is 10 minutes or less fast and furious and full of information that'll make you smarter. Go subscribe and leave a rating too. And of course, call us anytime at eight seven seven eight My mytake or send me a tweet. I'm at Amy E. Walter. Thanks so much for listening. This is Politics with Amy Walter on The Takeaway. See you next week.